That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Media presents the Yelling in My Ear podcast. Documentary filmmaker Dan Napoli and ad agency creative director John Battistini revisit movies, music, TV shows, and pop culture events from the 80s and 90s they experienced as kids. Some of it was great. Some of it was terrible. But all of it will be fun as these longtime friends talk about what influenced them growing up. Welcome to the Yelling in My Ear podcast. New latest episode of Yelling in My Ear. I am Dan Napoli from Heard Out Films. I am John Battistini from my basement. Slash your office, right? Yeah, slash office, slash my yeah. dad's hangout space when my parents are in town. Yeah. And we have, of course, our producer, our, God, easy for me to say, our producer, Sasha Durgan, classing up the joint as well. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. We're doing this in the morning. This is new for us. I have a very bright window behind me. Usually it, it turns dark as we progress on these. Yeah. Yeah, dude. No guarantee how A, how this will turn out, or B, that I just won't dash out in the middle of this to go fill up coffee. So ah, <laughs> uh, jealous. Jealous. Just just like, warning ahead of time. Fair enough. Um, but we are going to be talking about something fun this time. So yeah, dude. Not that we don't say, talk about fun stuff all the time. But. Yeah. What are you? What are you insinuating, John? Am I supposed yeah, to say know, that exactly. personally? No. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Staying staying on the music tip. As mm-hmm. um, if you're watching the video podcast, um, the T-shirt marking out um, <laughs> communicates. We're going to talk about New York City hardcore. Um, and we may branch pretty... out beyond just New York City, Dan, because yeah, I I, I kind of I, we're gonna... uh, you know. Yeah, we're going to start there and yeah. like, who knows where, where it, it will go, but maybe Allentown, who knows? We'll see where we end up. Yeah, there. dude, I'm, I'm interested though. I mean, you growing up in like in New York in in the eighties and nineties, it's really sort of the, the mm. epicenter obviously of, of how a lot of that stuff started, man. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious, like how, where did you intersect with it? Like what did it, mm. what connected with you early? Well, let's, let's, let's lay some ground rules i'm not like super hardcore kid so i was on the periphery but i was really into it so let's lay that down right now i don't you know i don't need to be called out for yeah. being truly in the scene and being a poser like whatever man i like the music yeah. um so let's just let's just put that put that line in the sand there um if i can put one more line on top of it too mm-hmm. is like it, this isn't supposed to be this is not the definitive like new york hardcore lesson like there's other podcasts that you can do about oh i'm gonna that, get where, stuff like, wrong all yeah like time. if we like, miss some I obscure judge show anything. that was yeah. in like your okay. cousin's basement in 86 that's fine we're really talking about how yeah. the music connects to us and sort yeah, of how just- it's evolved and i want to talk about how it's connected to sasha too you know yeah, definitely. I mean, this is going to be my recollection. So that's this right. is my truth. This Love is, it. Or or my remembered truth of New York City hardcore and just hardcore in general. Because for me, it was exciting, you know, to be to be like, oh, I like these, you know, NYHC bands and stuff like that. But like, it was just I didn't discern whether they were from New York or Pennsylvania or, you know, Orange County. I had no idea. I mean, I was just like an idiot kid in high school. So, I mean. I remember getting 
an album, a cassette, a cassette, not an album. Um, at some point, I have a CD version of it somewhere behind me. It's also available on, on the streaming platform. It's called it's called New York Trash, I believe. It's like yellow, and it's got like a handwritten, a handwritten thing on it. It had like a bunch of punk bands on it. Definitely not hardcore, but like the Beastie Boys, Riot Fight is on there. You know, back when they were like a hardcore band, there's a band called False Prophets on it. I think maybe Bad Brains on it. I don't know. I don't know. I saw it at a store and I bought it, and I thought it was really cool. And that kind of opened me up to a bunch of stuff. I have no idea what year that was, had to be in the 80s. And then from there, it kind of went, I went to a very conservative Catholic uh, all boys high school. And in there, I remember I ate lunch with this really cool guy named Rich who was super into New York hardcore. So this may be uh, the story of New York hardcore that John knows as told by Rich from high school. Um, awesome dude. And he would go to all the shows and stuff and I'd hear about stuff on the weekend and stuff. But one of the guys we went to high school with was older than us. His name, his name was also Rich. Wow, that's weird. Um, I don't remember his last name. It might have been like Legi or something like that. He was a drummer in the band Bustin' Out is my understanding. I wasn't friends with him. I, I maybe saw him once or twice, but I was like, oh, that's cool. What's that? And I like, so I went and found that band to hear about, you know, that. And from there, that led me to an album at some, like a band who is still on constant like rotation, which would be Gorilla Biscuits, you know? And so that's where that kind of like got me into it. And there it like led to token entry and Jimmy chunks and stuff like that. And, and, and all those things. And, you know, that's kind of how I got into it. And then it was just like, it didn't matter whether it was from New York or not. It, it just, you know, it was just like, it was hardcore. And, you know, occasionally going to shows in the city and hardcore matinees. Sometimes there was someone Long Island. I forget what the name of the place was. And there was, you know, definitely at CBGB's, that kind of thing. So that's that's my history of New York hardcore. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Um, <laughs> tune in next rap. time when we're going to talk. <laughs> but dude, that's a whole, so talk about like, dude, that's a whole thing of like like hardcore matinees like that's awesome yeah. that you sort of touched on that like like because that was a whole thing right it was just these like afternoon mm -hmm. yeah. shows now on the weekend and like you'd go and you'd hang out outside and like so my dad worked for the long Island railroad at the time so i had a train pass so i was able to take the train into the city for free so that helped facilitate that you know kind of stuff and i do remember like being in college in the early 90s coming home over one of the breaks and taking some of my friends from college to one of the Super Bowl of hardcore. I don't, I know, I know Antidote I played. Cool. I don't remember who else played. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a lot of fun. Like we had a really good time and they'd never been to it. So that was kind of cool to introduce them to that. They were all in bands and I would go with them to shows at airport music hall in Allentown. I think it was in Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, which was an old grocery store that did shows. And I remember seeing a whole bunch of like bands there. And so my journey was like, you know, going to shows in New York. And then when I was away at college in Scranton, going to shows there. And, and, and that was like, you know, how I got into hardcore. That's, that's basically it. What about you, Dan? I mean, I know you're not, this is not really your world, but I mean, you definitely were touched by it. Yeah. On like on the preview. I mean, I came in, um, later a little mm -hmm. bit i came in in like like mid 90s and i came in mm -hmm. through the first h2o record oh um, okay told me those guys yeah okay yeah, cool um 
which, um, dude, I had to grab like as I'm, I'm, I'm not gimmicking because they're sold out, but like this was sort of their classic, like mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. what I'm yep. wearing, their New York license plate. Um, mm-hmm. And they, they just did like a reissue of it. It's even got. Oh, the super cool. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, so I came in. I can't remember how I got my hands on the, on it sort of. But the first mm-hmm. H2O, um, mm-hmm. like the white like record and like mm-hmm. originally you know obviously like i grew up in denver and i was in mm-hmm. i don't think i was in high school it's probably in college at the time so i was here in nebraska but i'm you know i'm, I'm from brooklyn originally and my family's right. still back there like that whole thing so i was like oh cool there's this band from new york and like i had kind of touched a little bit like like for me i have to have some some punk or some mm-hmm. uh, um melodic peanut butter in my chocolate of hardcore Mm. it just doesn't quite so like obviously tons of like respect to all of those bands Mm -hmm. but like hearing like um so you know i started going backwards through h2o but then hearing like Mm. chromags or like warzone Mm -hmm. or like different i'm like "Ah, yeah mad ball agnostic front like i like all the anger i was very angry i was so angry i feel like (laughs) agnostic front had a little bit of melody but dude what you hit on like gorilla biscuits was Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, oh, okay, this is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And I thought had maybe a little more in common with mm-hmm. like the stuff from DC. Right, right, right. From the, yeah, from the I was Discord. a big minor threat fan and like a lot of the DC stuff. And then when I discovered Fugazi, I was just like, oh my God. But yeah, yeah I, I could go back and forth on, on that kind of stuff. But there was, there's a part of me that was like, super into the anger and the nonstop. And, and even college, I was like, you know, into nuclear assault and like thrash metal at the same time. Like I would like that. Like now am I talking your world, Sasha? Am I starting to get into a little more of the stuff maybe you know about as I start getting into the yeah. angry thrash stuff? Yes. Because you mentioned, so you said Fugazi and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. So like my introduction, like obviously I'm a little bit younger than you guys. Maybe really? We haven't discussed uh, that ever before. <laughs> um, <laughs> Define a lot. Yeah, <laughs> but like one of the first shows I ever went to was in Sioux Falls. Sioux Falls, back in the day, South Dakota, by the way, mm. um, had an amazing, amazing like underground music scene. Um, cool. Like a lot of a lot of really awesome bands went through there. One of the first shows that I ever went to was at the Drive-In. Mm-hmm. Um, was that the name but, of the venue or the band at the Drive-In? No, the the band at the Drive-In. Okay. Oh, awesome. Um, so Just making like, sure. Yeah. So like that then started, and I loved it. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. But that then started me down the path to like seek out other music that was similar. Mm. So Refused for me is okay. in oh. the Shape of Punk to Come is one of my all-time favorite albums and bands. But then mm. liking Refused, then that leads you down like I got really into Terror and I got really into mm. Madball and I really got, mm-hmm. got really mm-hmm. into Agnostic Front. Um, right. And so like then that just like parlays itself into like my husband's favorite band is botch which like then i don't know them at all allows you to like go down this like treasure trove of music that was like you know following the the melodies and like the i don't want to say chugginess because i don't want to offend anybody but like you know like that just feeling way, that kind of like yeah yeah um, mm-hmm. of what New York City hardcore laid it was out driving. all these other bands yeah. to exist. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. That like, is yeah, every cool. Time I Die is one of my favorite bands. They're from Buffalo, mm-hmm. New York. Like, mm-hmm. what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. they're kind of like really that 
it, I think it's cool, Sasha. It's interesting you put it like that because you're talking about like like laying the layers and the foundation and then going up. And I because I, I, I think you, you can see, you know, because every time I die is really a I think people forget even how long they've been around because they really started in the late 90s, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's kind of interesting that evolution of how thrash metal or some stuff kind of started mixing Mm -hmm. in with that foundation of like New York hardcore. Yeah, for sure. Um, and well, and like we've mentioned this before on, you know, the episode previous to this one, just like, you know, without those, that New York city hardcore scene and like those bands, a lot mm-hmm. of these other bands that exist now and are still doing music and still playing, I don't think would have been able to exist or like hone in their mm-hmm. skills or like add even more layers to it. If it hadn't been for New York city. Hardcore. No. And it was, it was also like, look, you know, angry kids, you, mm-hmm. you know, we, I mean, it was all boys Catholic high school. It was just like, I didn't feel, you don't feel like you fit in. Maybe you do, you don't, you know, kids are calling you names. Like, you know, this was a community and kind of a family where you're like, oh, I get it. Like I can, I can, I can get with this. Did I get completely into the scene and go live on the Lower East Side? And no, you know, I still was like in the suburbs, you know, suburban white kid, like, what do you want from me? But, you know, it's, it, 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 I had a sense of belonging or even maybe, an aspiration of being able to be that one that just doesn't give a shit and just leave school and play in a band and live that lifestyle. And, you know, that, that's something I always wanted to be. And I think that's kind of like the freedom that it, it seemed to on the surface give you is something that really, I think attracted me to the whole scene and all, and all that stuff. And, you know, as well as the music, but I think there was a whole, a whole part of culture that was attractive to me around the hardcore scene that I wasn't getting anywhere else beyond just the music, if that makes sense. Sash, what was I'm I, you guys both hit on something I thought's interesting. Like what was it? What, you know, what, what was it like being at the time being like a girl that is like mm. into that scene? Um, honestly, I mean, you're kind of looked at like, I mean, at the time, I like looking back on it, you know, when I was, I I really started venturing out into music on my own, like away from Mm. what my parents listened to when I was like 17, 18, when I was moving out of the house, I could do whatever, you know, whatever I wanted to. Um, But finding that scene and then being just automatically accepted as I was right then and there um, Mm. was the, I think the coolest part for me, like, some of those friends like are lifelong friends just because mm-hmm. of the music and the music is what brought us together. Um, but I was like one of the dudes, you know, like no one, no one cared what, how I dressed, no one cared like mm-hmm. what I looked like. They were just like, this is rad that like you're into this stuff or you're willing mm-hmm. to get in the pit. That's freaking crazy. That's awesome. And when you're younger, like you're like, hell yeah, I'm a badass. And now I look back at that and I'm like, you know, I, I don't think that I would be as as comfortable in my own skin, in my meat mm-hmm. suit, if you will, if I hadn't had that scene to like grow up in and like be accepted in. Um, it meant a lot and it still does. Why, why has it got to be a suit? Like, couldn't it just be your meat <laughs> casual wear, your meat pajamas? Yeah, like, come on. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, well, you're saying. Well, I was just saying, it's, it's interesting. I just asked that as like how the 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 practice meets the ideal. I mean, dude, you know, you can go all the way back. Like, I mean, I'm 
almost positive. I'll I'll blame COVID brain if I get this wrong, but like you know, you go all the way back to like seven seconds and like not just oh, yeah. voice fun and oh, yeah. like the concept and, and and those are some of the things of of hardcore that was and and that's um but you know I was that's another album like, that was that was like really seminal for me was I don't know the name of the album but it was like what are the rock to walk together rock, rock together, together rock together yeah yeah I think I mean, that was just they're, like, from, they're from like Reno or something I, I honestly I don't know. Yeah, See, I, I, I really got into that, dude. And I don't know if it was mm-hmm. being Midwest, but like what I mm-hmm. what I dug at the time and certainly some things blended together. But I mm-hmm. kind of dug that like Black Flag in Orange County mm-hmm. hardcore had this little thing mm-hmm. to it that New York City hardcore did not. And like mm-hmm. D.C. was like a little bit different. Like, yeah, it was cool, you know, pre-internet everything mm-hmm. wasn't as homogenized. You still had a little bit of regionalism to it. Maybe that's because yeah. it's Midwest and like, we didn't pick up. No, anything. I think, like, I think you did. Like for me, it was really interesting. Like when I went off to college, you know, there was no internet and you know, people were giving me these bands and stuff that I'd never heard of, like out of Pennsylvania and stuff like that. I'm like, Whoa, yeah, you, it was hard to be exposed to, I mean, think about what I just said. Like my first exposure to it was like a guy that I ate lunch with in high school was friends with another guy that was in one of the bands. It's like, what? Yeah. Okay. Like and now you'd find it on the internet. You'd be able to like, look for other stuff, go down a whole rabbit hole. Like since then as an adult gone and looked down, you know, as far back as like the MC five and like, where did like this type of like punk and angry music even start from? There's no way to discover that back then, unless somebody's older brother in the basement, when he was done getting stoned, would be like, you should listen to this album. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's something to be said for that experience of those those gatekeepers. But so like, Sasha, mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, so you're probably like even we're, we're talking about when every time I die started, like your entry point is maybe about 10 years or a little and change after us. Like, yeah, was that regionalism? Because obviously the Internet's emerging. Like, was that still mm. uh, like a thing for you or did that not register? Um, I mean, like th- when I found like that music scene, like you just went to every show. Um, mm-hmm. And like, especially like Sioux Falls, South Dakota, it's, it's small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's smaller than Omaha. Um, but so we, we were really limited on, you know, basically like these touring bands coming to down to town with their supporting acts, which like mm-hmm. I saw a lot of the supporting acts before they like went on to do yeah. bigger and better things. Like, that one band specifically that comes to mind that got kind of big for a little bit. And I think they actually broke up was like sidewalk slam. Like I'd never heard of them. Like I would have no, like no mm. reason to know who they were because I'm in South mm-hmm. freaking Coda, but they came with a bigger band that played at a basement show at someone's house. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, that's how I got to know a lot of that. A lot of those bands um, just being supporting acts or just coming through. Cause you wanted to go hang out with your friends and like, Hey, this band's playing at so-and-so's house, the 605 house in the basement. Are you coming? And like you would stand outside and like smoke cigarettes and talk to your friends mm-hmm. and have your jean jacket with your patches on it. And then you'd go downstairs and like have your ears blown out with a shitty <laughs> PA system <laughs> in someone's basement. But like, that's how I was introduced to a lot, a lot of these bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, that always like compounds on itself. So as a girl, you know, going to your first show like that. I mean, did you go with, 
other girl, like girlfriends? Was it a bunch of people? Like what, like, how did you find? Cause it was like, I remember this, like it was just dudes. Like you, mm-hmm. if you saw like in the early days, you saw one girl there, you're like, Whoa, you know? And like, so how did you kind of, I don't want to say muster up the courage. Like what inspired you to be like, you know what? I'm gonna go do this thing. I just went, um, no I, I you were was so like, badass. Right? Jeez. <laughs> I, well, and my parents are oh, my my parents are always like super into music. Like when I was growing up, it was a lot of like Led Zeppelin. Like, okay, my mom's favorite band is Pantera. So like it wasn't that I wasn't like introduced okay. Okay. to you know Maybe. to music. So like I think she actually said, Hey, I know that you've really been wanting to go to a concert. They're mm. playing, and this wasn't at someone's basement house. But um, it was less. Been, yeah, it was playing at like a VFW or what's now a VFW. So I'm right, only like, I will take you there. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so like I went to that show and be, I what there were like maybe a handful of girls or weren't mm-hmm. like a ton. Um, right. I, you know, I'd say probably 80, 20. But mm-hmm. I ended up meeting people there just by being in that environment that then, you know, you know, you exchange. Oh, you guys numbers. froze. Dude, Sasha, if um, if your mom's favorite band is Pantera, if you guys haven't seen this, I love Pantera, by the way. Yeah. Um, have you seen the clip where there is a um, like a formally trained? Um, she might be an opera singer or like a classically trained singer, and she like watches all these, like you know, a Ronnie James Dio video, and so like yeah. she's watching like Pantera do. I think it's Cowboys. I don't know. It's something where maybe it's Cemetery Gates. Mm-hmm. And just watching her react to Phil's voice going different places. <laughs> it's so it. cool. It's super funny. Out. I'll try to send it to you. Yeah. The last time I was in Sioux Falls, my mom, uh, he dropped out. So he'll be back. But was talking about the time that um, she met. Uh, so she was like standing right behind. Um, oh, shit. What's the guitarist's name? Dimebag Daryl? Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, his uh, brother. His brother. Oh. oh mm. Shit. I don't remember. Vinny, Vinny, yeah, right? Vinny, Vinny, Vinny Paul. Vinny Paul. Thank you. Okay. Um, so she used to live in Vegas and they were like at, he would go to like these fucking bar shows all the time. Like he was known for wow. doing this and they were like sitting right next to his table. My mom was like fangirling the fuck out and like shook his hand. And she's like, I never, she was like, you know, 50 at the time. I never want to wash my hand again. <laughs> That's great. I'm something I wanted to ask you about though, too, Sash. Um, that so I one thing I noticed, like for me, in the the um, that spectrum of whatever you want to call this music, with I would say hardcore being on one end mm-hmm. and like the ska swing revival being on the other, mm-hmm. is as you went this way, I saw the audiences get way more 50 50 as you yeah. go into like punk whatever it was a pop punk ska revival like more and more um male female but like as as you go backwards and then you go past the middle line as you start to get to more hardcore mm-hmm. you see it become much more you know 80 20 90 10 at best yeah yeah like sasha's making notes but um john i yeah. asked her to talk about that difference in the spectrum we said hardcore on one end like the swing revival on the other like when you go this way like lots of female um like oh, like actual um, swing music like cherry like cherry poppin daddies or like big bad voodoo daddy like all of that hep cat which is mm-hmm. a really swing but in that um 
swath, if you will. And then you go all the way to the other side and like on the, on the hardcore side, it was much more guys to girls, um, higher ratio of dudes. But yeah, I, so, you know, like some of those first shows that I went to, it was very much like, you know, in Sioux Falls, it was a little different, I think, but even like one of my first shows here, the first show I went to here was at Sokol Underground and it was bleeding through. And that was, it was probably, I would say 90, 10. Um, but I, and that was another one of those shows. I was just like, I really like this band. I'm going to go I stood in the back by myself, but I ended up meeting like a, a few people, you know, cause back nice. in Sokol, the way it's a very, especially underground is a very tiny, it's very, very basementy. <laughs> um, but back, uh, along one of the corners, there's a bar back there. So I'd get a drink and, you know, pensively stand in the back by the end of the show. And by the time bleeding through got up on that stage, though, you bet your ass I was up front. I didn't care that someone was kicking or punching or like, you know, landing on my head because they're stage diving. Um, But honestly, like it was super easy. Everybody's everybody like has this assumption if you've never been to a hardcore show that like people are aggressive or mean or intimidating, but really honestly nicest most welcoming people like they haven't seen you before especially if they haven't seen you before at a show they're like dude what's up haven't seen you before i'm so and so like do you how many like what kind of music are you into clearly you like this stuff did you know that this band's coming to town like things like that that's what i've always loved about this music scene yeah and i think it I think that's interesting because Sash, I I, I, I want both of you guys to talk about this has been in the news a ton lately. And I always try to put an asterisk when people talk to me about it, even like my parents and be like, well, 50,000 people and 150 hardcore kids are a little different, but with everything that happened at like the Travis Scott event mm. in, and even when you read more about that event in Houston and what the day was like and this sort of like escalating violence, like there's almost a weird thing, right. Of like, there's this vehicle we'll call it for self-expression and it's Mm -hmm. in the hands of like punk and hardcore kids that you, that's there's this community scene and it's managed differently. Right. But then if you just give it to the general person, they like ram the Porsche into the telephone pole, which is maybe some of the stuff that you see at a mainstream show that's outside of like that hardcore culture. I, I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, what you guys think about because like uh, um, conventional wisdom would tell you the Travis Scott show is safe. But a bunch of dudes, like we used to call them, like the Voodoo Glow Skull Posse at shows with like the Septum Pierce and the beanies and the wife beaters, you'd be like, oh, that's dangerous. I'm going to get really, somebody's going to be out to hurt me. And, and there's a couple of those things, but it's almost like reversed into like where the safety zone is, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's horrible that those people were killed. It's absolutely terrible. Yeah. And I, I wonder from my own perspective, you know, have been to shows and been in the pits and gotten hurt. Not, not obviously not badly. Is it, is it also though, like at the shows I was at, and this is just my own experience. Um, you know, the people that were in the pit, like kind of wanted to be in the pit and they were there and you knew there was a pit, like are people at a Travis shot Scott show. Well, I know that he does like, he wants people to rage and he does that. Like, are the people that are doing their thing and doing their moshing that they're doing their thing, but are the other people around it, like not really aware that that's a thing. Like I would have never gone to a hardcore show 
like with my kids, like at that age and brought them anywhere near the pit. So is it more that the average person, it's not necessarily the fault that it is like the average person just unaware of what a pit truly is. And they were in the wrong place, at the wrong time. And a terrible tragedy happened. I, I don't know. I'm asking, you know what I mean? Sure. Like sure. we were aware the pit was there. You knew where the F it was. And you were like, stay away if you don't want to be in it. And you know what I mean? So I don't know. Is it just and terrible? I, like they got up front, they turned around and all of a sudden there's a pit behind them. And uh Oh, I think I that, know. I think that, that, I mean, obviously with the, the, that particular incidence, there's a lot of layers there. Um, yeah. I don't think that um, security wise, they were prepared enough for just the sheer amount of people. Um, Is anybody then, ever? <laughs> right. And then you have, you know, you have folks uh, like breaking down fences and running in. Um, and so you've got another, another layer, you're already over capacity. Yeah. Um, and I think that at larger scale shows like that, you know, everybody wants to get as close to the front as they can. Um, and, and so and then that, you have that's that, a, yep, that's the that, thing, that Sasha. Crush yeah. of people, and you and you don't yeah. think about the people that are in front of you. You don't think about you know. I, I think just in the moment, you're 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 having yeah. fun, and you want to get as close as you can to have that experience. Um, and I think that there's just a lot of layers there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, to that just, end, wait one second before you go to that end. I remember being at a Nine Inch Nail show sometime in the early '90s. It was after the first album came out. I don't remember where it was. It was in the city and we're against the stage and the stage is only about like a little low, taller than knee height. I remember because I was against it and I could feel with the opening notes of the first song, the crowd behind me surged. And for a, a split second, I was convinced that I was going to hit the stage face first and my legs were going to stay where they were. And my knees were going to snap the wrong way. Cause I was against it. And at the last minute, this like overwhelming pressure, my knees released and like, I hit the stage face first and everybody like rushed the stage. And I remember Trent Reznor didn't stop the concert at all. Mm. And he did the entire concert directly in front of the drum kit with like a surge of kids like around him. And then eventually other bouncers came. Rumor is they came from the nuclear assault show around the corner, these big giant dudes and parted the sea. And eventually by the fourth or fifth song, got everyone off the stage and got the barricades back up. So I understand the, that that wanting to be at the front and pushing your way up there and getting up there. And like, there is that moment where I was like, I think I'm going to be crippled if like something doesn't give, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, look, dude, it's not a, um, I'll screw up the pronunciation. I think it's the, uh, is it rock style? The big, the big European show um, oh, from 2000, that Pearl Jam, I mean, Famously, that was probably one of the last really big on the radar, like 12 people died in the push forward, Um, I think. And, you know, not to make this about the Astro show or whatever, but like, I think the push is the least concerning part of like, it's it's more because we we hear what stuff is like throughout the day. And I think, you know, dude, if I really think about it, it's it's interesting to tell that Nine Inch Nails story, John, because now that I think about going to shows throughout the 90s of both like nine inch nails grunge like mm-hmm. alternative becomes popular shows versus hardcore shows it's it's a different there mm-hmm. there is not a and and uh, sasha i also think you're very astute in pointing like look if you want to look at the situation in houston that's a lot of different things that go into it but um there's certainly no sense of community mm-hmm. at like 
something like that. Or I even noticed in those, like, I don't know what I'm like, like an Alice in Chains show in, I'm trying to think what's it, in like 95, because they had mm-hmm. gotten so big. There's those like core people, but they're surrounded by mm-hmm. like, at the end of the day, radio folks mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. audience, listeners. Yeah, of like, just oh, enjoy the music. It. Yeah. So, but, but a lot of times those folks come to those places and are like, oh, this is my, like, I do the moshing thing. And they don't, there's no, like, dude, I remember when we first started going, it's, it's almost like people sort of like set down the rules for you. Like you were kind of saying, John, there's like the pits here. You don't want to be, somebody falls down, pick them up. And there's, there's a little bit Somebody falls down, pick them up. Yeah. Yep. Like Sasha, you were. That's what I was going to, what it was going to bring up. I think that there's a very big difference between um, just like, you know, I don't want to call it an intimate hardcore show at a smaller venue. I mean, I've been to the faint concerts before and people have had to be pulled out from the front because there's just a crush of people because everyone's Mm -hmm. dancing and Mm -hmm. wants to get as close to the stage as possible because they have a light show and everything's just the atmosphere is different at a show like that a faint show versus going to, you know, see every time I die, there's, mm-hmm. uh, there's like an unspoken respect for the people around you that are at the show. You want to be in the pit tight. You want to be up front. You better be expecting and be mm-hmm. ready for someone to be jumping off the stage. Um, and, and it's and your job it. to catch them. That's yes. the other thing. If yeah, you're going right. to go to the front, you need to take the responsibility that you are yeah. willing to catch this. I forget what show it was. It was me. It was Jimbo couple of the people we were catching people and catching people and catching people and every some dude dove and the crowd surged back and we lost our balance and like the dude hit the ground he got up there was blood everywhere and like we all felt terrible but it's like it wasn't like we didn't catch him like something happened you're like well you know and yeah so yeah there's just, so I, I feel like there's some unspoken rules there at, at mm-hmm. specific, like different types of shows. I mean, hell, I've, I've been to a three doors down show before at a county, a county fair. And mm, it was another one of those situations. Like? <laughs> Everybody wanted to be at the front. And this was back in like mm-hmm. 2000, 2002, mm. maybe um, when they were super, super popular. Um, but my stepsister wanted to go. So I drove her and I, you know, what the hell? It's a show, mm-hmm. but people had to be pulled out from there because there's just a crush of people. It's just, mm-hmm. I think that there's just different atmospheres for different shows. Um, mm-hmm. and, and when it comes to hardcore, there's just unspoken rules that you learn along the way. Like I guarantee you, I only had to get kicked in the back of the head one time to know that I don't stand yeah. on the outer part of the, ri- Ooh, uh, the pit with that's my the back. Worst spot. You don't stand with your back to the pit. Mm-mm. But you learn that stuff at shows like that. And actually, I would go so far as to say, Sasha, I don't think they're unspoken rules. The first time some dude <laughs> falls down and somebody screams, pick him up. That's yeah, pretty right. much a no. spoken rule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I think the rules are pretty much spoken like loudly. Yeah. So how, how much I'm curious as as we look to wrap this out, like how much hardcore do you guys still listen to? How big a part of, of your musical spins is that? I mean, if we look through my shot. Spotify history, you would see that Gorilla Biscuits is at least a couple, three or four times a year. I will listen to that whole album. It was just the the 2020 rap on Spotify just came mm-hmm. up. Um, and like my every single year for like the last since they've been doing this, 
has i mean every time i die is my my top listened mm -hmm. to band um followed there shortly after by a lot of spute um and mm -hmm. a, a few other bands that you know i i, I think i listen to mo more post hardcore than i do anything else yeah. i mean my husband and i'll do phone roulette and 90 percent of it'll be it's you know i want to listen to this botch song or you know mm -hmm. oh we got to listen to snot now so I mean, I, that's basically all I listen to. And on a good day or bad day, or if I'm depressed, hardcore music's where it's at. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would Dude, go with that. I still like, like New York's New York hardcore is still sort of, I would say gorilla biscuits. Um, Civ, by the way, who I loved, mm -hmm. I think super underrated um, mm -hmm. and H2O. But like, as we broaden it out, I mean, a band you referenced earlier, Sasha is like, like is refused like yeah, i pull that out every and then i also pull out the video dude i remember oh, i was working i, have I was a out of school <laughs> oh do you, do you oh, really dude, i didn't realize oh, wow. that's what that was that's it awesome says, can i scream in swedish and it's in graffiti so yeah, oh shit. okay well, I love i'm it. gonna give myself a pass for not recognizing <laughs> that uh, i don't understand dan you're not up on your swedish <laughs> it's, it's a little shaky a little rough, a little um, rough yeah but dude we were um i worked um, I was I was the marketing director for like a really cool spot. A cool idea was, was called Warp Sports, and it was very like mm. action sports culture put together, sports music. And so, of course, I mean, this is the early 2000s. So like we still got serviced by like the labels, late 90s, mm -hmm. early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting like a video comp from Epitat and putting it in. Mm. And the refused video is fucking bananas. Yeah. You're just like, what is happening? This is like, I don't know what's happening, but I like it. Um, that, those samplers, that's fat music for fat people. That was another way I found stuff. That was where I yeah. discovered 10 foot pole. Shout out to Dennis. Um, I mean, I remember getting the CD, walking to work because I had a disc man. And I, I heard this song, The Getaway. And I was like, what, what, what? Not that it's hardcore, but I'm just saying the, 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 no, but I remember I, like putting that song on repeat for the next like, I don't know, seven or eight years. <laughs> um, but but those samplers, that was another thing that you bring that up with the epitaph stuff and fat records. Yeah. Were you Gosh. a big comp kid, Sasha? Like I, the compilations? Honestly, like there's songs that'll randomly come on Spotify. I'm like, oh my God, I love that comp. And then I got to go find it mm -hmm. because like yep. there were so many bands that I was introduced to just by that. Yes. Um, just by grabbing those. Like you go to, you know, um, one would be in magazines. Yeah, you have it like yeah. a blow in, like a CD comp. Right. I, yeah. That's where I have. I have one of those comps somewhere in the back there that was like in a magazine, and it's got Nirvana's like I think it's the one with Penny Royalty on it. That was like the unreleased thing, and that comp was like so I, I don't know. Just now you can get that song, but back then yeah. that was like a big deal. From yeah, a magazine. I, th I think that was a huge. I mean, if if you're a if you're a younger, super super younger listener, it is really those comps almost served as the. It was a like playlist. you did actually have to pay yeah. for them, but like yeah, they were really like the the function of like a Spotify playlist of it. <laughs> it you would be like right, you're at a, a show curated playlist, yeah, and it's at the merch booth, and it's it's usually the cheapest thing, right? It's like okay, I only have like. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I was like after booze and a, and a shirt, I only have five bucks left, but like, here's like 22 bands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I still have every single comp that I ever picked up at any show. And like to this day, like it's a trip down memory lane, just like, Oh mm -hmm. shit, what happened to that band? Yeah. Yeah. Like those are like my favorite introductions. And like some of my, I mean, like you said, like the original playlist. 
Mm-hmm. Sash, can you can you like off the cuff like uh, classic comp that you'd recommend that just is like as your top comp playlist? I'm actually looking it up yeah, right now. It was an it was an epitaph. Um, okay, Punkorama is always good. Um, gosh, I'm I don't I remember what it looked like. It was orange, and it, the the actual CD itself was orange and black. That probably is my favorite one. And honestly, I could go in my basement and find it right now, but it might take me a minute. But I still uh, have it in the case. Yeah, I can't find the one that I was looking to show you guys. It's so orange and black, and it's freaking awesome. I will, from the comps, I would say there was two. There was a, oh, yeah, we're off hardcore in a way here, but there was a, a snowboard mag. I can't remember what it was. It was pink. I remember mm. that. And like it's the first place I had heard face to face, which I was a huge fan of. Um, and then um, like the very first fat music for fat people, where it's white mm-hmm. and it's like hand drawn. I had so like I had never I, that just was my first exposure to any of that like strung out yeah. propaganda. Like and and those I was like, what's this double bass sounding thing? Like I hadn't heard any of that before. <laughs> No, like this so, is one, this is a comp. I mean, this is alternative, but like you lived off these things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Punkarama 8 is the one I was thinking of. Oh, it's yeah. my favorite one. I still have it. Like, so I that like, illustrates in a, yeah. in a numeric <laughs> order. <laughs> yeah, the, the age difference. Because like uh, fat music for fat people, uh, I think... No, I think the no alternative and the first Punkarama are probably within like two or three years. Yeah. Sasha's entry point is volume eight. So that's yeah. the gap between. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. Well, yeah. and I used to work at when I, I lived in Minneapolis for a little bit right after I graduated high school. And so a lot more of the things that I started getting into were more curated because I worked mm. at a skateboard shop when I was there and we <gasps> always okay. got those compilations. In. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You mentioned they wanted you to play them in the stores, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And they'd always send extra, you know, yeah. you at least get two or three copies. Yeah. So if you're there, you get the ones they box, like the, <laughs> did they have the whole punched out in them or like uh-huh. the oh, cut yeah. in the, like, I have a bunch of those from when I worked at the music magazine. The first Weezer yeah. CD up there has the hole punched in the back. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, sweet. Well, guys, this was a bunch of fun. Uh, we got, yeah. I think, uh, we'll, we'll let it be a surprise. We got one more episode coming everybody's mm-hmm. way. Um, that will close out season one. Um, we have been renewed, like it or not, uh, by Herd Out Media for a season two. We're going to do something a little, a little different next year that we're kind of, uh, kind of excited about. We can talk about that more in our, our next time we get together. But, uh, this has been fun, guys. Like, yeah, this is awesome. More often. Yeah. I could talk about music with you guys for like three more hours. Well, we'll right. talk about season two. You're gonna be you're gonna be on a lot more. So yeah. and everybody's, it's everybody's nice like, oh, to have you on camera. Yeah, absolutely. That was. But by the, by the way, because I make know sure he's I draw listening. my eyebrows on. <laughs> <laughs> because I know he's listening. Um, no, it's absolutely. I'm sure he's not listening. But um, big credit and thank you, Adam Fowler from Jawbreaker. Like our last episode, he actually listened to it, which because he's that's he's an awesome dude. Um, and he was like, th- he had two, he had two comments. This is really good and more Sasha. So, uh, we <laughs> are definitely are following. Me. That's right. We're definitely <laughs> following it. Adam's lead. Um, awesome. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you all next right. time. Bye See everybody. Ya. Peace. A Huda Media Production.